Thank you for joining us in our discussion on Mark Twain. I'm Jill Parker. I'm Dan Lindsay. And let's get started. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So to address the elephant in the room, why are you here today and not John? Uh, I am here because John went and got sick. Yes. So John <laughs> has COVID. He is recovering and doing a lot better. But uh, in his place, Dan has graciously decided to join our, our time here today. Uh, Dan, you were you joined us, I think, back in season three and season four for some commentary on the, the presidential debates as well as some other shows. So it's, it's an honor to have you back here. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's also our first discussion of the season, which it's an honor to be back here. It's an honor to talk to all of you again. As John talked about in our episode last week, our recording and posting format has changed a little bit because we want your involvement. We want you to send us your questions from each podcast. And this is somewhat of an experiment. So in the process of us doing this, uh, if you would prefer us to go back to the old style, that is totally fine. But our goal here is really to get your insight and get any questions that you may have, which some of you did send some out to us from our episode on Mark Twain from last week. So Mark Twain, Dan, you have some questions prepared and then some questions that were sent in to us from our awesome audience. So ask away, sir. So the biggest thing that everybody knows Mark Twain for obviously, is Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, the coming-of-age novels that he wrote. What else did he contribute that garnered him the moniker of the father of American literature? There's a quote, I can't remember the person's name, but it's not my quote, that Mark Twain freed up the American language from the British. And what that means is, is he took the vernacular of the time and put it on paper so that people could actually reuse it again and again and again. So he translated before him his very formal kind of style of writing in general. Yeah, his use of dialect was really important in that too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very folksy, very normal. It was very much as if his characters could sit across the table from you and have a conversation with you. Or if you were listening in on their conversation as, say, they were on the boat. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that would be his biggest impact would be like he was able to free up the language of America and put that into story. One of the things that always struck me about Mark Twain's writing is he really popularized this idea of the great American novel. I don't think it was intentional. I think he did so as a product of his time. So American novels since the mid-1800s have always had this kind of moral lesson undertone to them. And I think when you look at the work of whether it's Harriet Beecher Stowe with Uncle Tom's Cabin or whether it's Mark Twain with Huckleberry Finn, the, the underlining moral story that we are forced to confront is very indicative of American literature. So here's a question that came in from our audience. What kind of man was Samuel Clemens? That is a great question. I think, based on the research I've done and his style of writing, he was a genuine man. I think that what you see is what you get. And if he were having a conversation with us at this table right now, he would be full of wit and humor. He would be a blast to talk to, I think. 
So I think that the narratives that you see in his stories are pretty genuine. As I said in the podcast, there's certain periods of his life where he would write pieces that were directly influenced by a tragedy or some terrible thing that that, that occurred. So you really get that authentic voice there. I think he was a very genuine person. And we saw that not just in his writing, but in his life when he saw an injustice, especially early on, he, he wasn't afraid to report on it. He wasn't afraid to push back on it in his own way. Well, and he experienced his more than his fair share of tragedy. Yeah, he sure did. The story that stood out to me the most, and that I think would have had a more of an impact on, on my life had it happened to me, was the story of his brother. So he got his brother a job on the same boat that he was on, and then a short while later, the boiler blows up, and his brother passes away. Horribly. Horribly. Like from burns, yeah. which is a terrible way to die. Um, interesting story behind that. According to his biography, uh, he had a premonition of that event. Yeah. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So he, he basically had a, a, he calls it a psychic vision. Psychic being psychic was big back then, but he had a psychic vision of, of his brother laying in a casket with a bouquet of roses on his chest. Mm. And uh, apparently his funeral played out the same way. I hadn't heard that part. I heard he had the vision, but I didn't know that it was that detailed. Wow. So how should we view Samuel Clemens, Joe? There's a lot of talk now about revisiting how we see people in history, whether we view them through a 20th century lens or whether we view them in light of the context in which they lived. How should we view Samuel Clemens? Great question. I would start out by saying I'm not in a position to tell people how to view anything. (laughs) I don't think any of us should be, but I guess the thing that I would warn against is exactly that, viewing him through our lens. He was a product of his time and culture, and yes, he made his own choices, but he also, some of those choices went against that culture. So I I, I think it is easy for us in our privileged position right now, I know that's probably a bad word, but uh, in our comfortable position right now to look back on someone else and judge them based on what we believe to be right and wrong. We've made it clear on this podcast that we, that we do believe in a right and wrong, and that, that, that there is a cemented right and wrong. Taken into context, when you understand the context of who he was as a man, you're less inclined to fall into the modern trap of, oh, wait, he said that, cancel him. Well, uh, and it cheapens history. It does. Well, it shows he, a lack of history, a lack of understanding of history. Yeah, because you look at somebody like Teddy Roosevelt, and you can look at him as sort of a, a monolithic individual, or you can look at them as somebody who in, who was indicative of the times in which they lived. In many ways, Mark Twain was a restless, always busy, always trying to find the next big thing in his life kind of person, which is kind of the way America was in, right. in the late 19th century, post-Civil War. Think about it. He went from like a, he was a, a pilot on a riverboat. He was a journalist. He was an author. He moved around a lot. And he he never really settled. And as soon as he settled, tragedy would happen in his life. So he picked up and moved. I think one of the questions that we got from the audience was, how would he have liked to be remembered? Is how he is remembered now the way that he would have wanted? And it was a great question because, as I said on the podcast, he never wanted to be remembered as a humorist. Like, he was, hum- he was, he was a humorist. But towards the end of his life, he just got so tired of that that he tried to write under other pen names and the humor would 
rise up and people would be like, that's Mark Twain, or <laughs> it would be really easy <laughs> yeah. to spot him. Some really creative pen names, by the way. Some yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that while he would be a little bit maybe upset at still being known as a humorist, I, I think that there would be some acceptance there. In asking the question of how he would like to be remembered, would he want to be remembered solely as his as the author of his later work? I mean, where we're in the podcast, we talked about the damned human race, you know, and, and when I think about his, some of his unpublished stories that have come to light now, like The Stranger, have you heard of that one? I've not read that one, no. Okay. I had not heard of it until I watched this claymation show, The Adventures of Mark Twain. Have you heard of this? <laughs> the claymation? It's, it's like claymation. Rudolph? Yeah, it's like claymation. It, you can find it on YouTube. And if you search YouTube, The Stranger, The Adventures of Mark Twain, you will be treated to one of the most disturbing <laughs> things that you have ever seen in claymation. It is, it's... <laughs> I will de- I will definitely be looking this <laughs> up when, so, I, when I get home. It's so awful. Uh, it, awful as in, you're watching it like, what, what's the point here? Like, what is going on here? And <laughs> later on in the show, they're, they're talking about, like, why would you have shown us this? These kids are asking Twain this. It's like, well... He, he quotes himself talking about how we all lose sanity after hours. Like, oh, so you did it because you're insane. Like, <laughs> so, so, well, that's one of the things. It's interesting. When it comes to this idea of the American wit, even today, Mark Twain is kind of the gold standard. Absolutely. I mean, his his one-liners were, were perfect. You know, don't let learning get in the way of your education. Perfect example of how he can bifurcate different concepts or similar concepts and make people think critically. Sure, he was a very cynical person, especially later on in his life. Uh, But the idea of being able to turn a phrase and get maybe an overlooked point across, nobody did it better than he did it. There were other writers at the time who were doing similar things. It wasn't just him, which is always true. So what, what separated him? He was a moralist and an idealist where you push the right because it is so. It's the right thing to do. Mm. He wasn't always right. I'm not saying he was a perfect man, and he himself was very clear that he was not. But there were, as it is with every age in society, and things that were wrong, things that were injustices. And he pushed against those and wrote against those. And people remember that. You have this person in history who did all of those things and translated the drive to do those things into characters that, as said earlier, utilizes the American language in a new way. And all of that taken together is why, and sorry, and he wrote a lot. He wrote for articles. He, he did speeches. He was well known. He was published over and over and over again in a time when that was really rare. Mm-hmm. So you combine all those things and uh, you have this, this character of the Mark Twain. Wasn't he also kind of the first American celebrity, not just yeah, not that's just, a great point. Not yeah. just in the U.S., but internationally, right? Because he traveled abroad, right? He was he was in Italy. He went to France. He was he spent a lot of time in New York. Yeah, um, these cosmopolitan cities. He was very well known, if I remember correctly. He was probably the first brand conscious author in America. Yeah. So much so he tried to change his brand, right? Right. Yeah, he started making demands of people whenever he went on book tours. Like he would, he would say, "I'm only going to wear this white suit, and if you're going to photograph me, I can only wear this white suit, and I have to be sitting a certain way." So he would make marketing people today look oh, like, yeah. you know, I don't know how to say this right, so I'm just going to screw it up and say it wrong. Do it. He embodied the American dream in its impossible form. 
he did something, one, that's really hard to do. Two, he highlighted individuals both in his stories and in his, his talks and so on who were the downtrodden, the, the people that we as a society would look past. And somehow in that highlight elevated them to an impossible point. He spoke to the American dream in impossible ways while achieving it himself. Like however you define that, he was able to, to come from something very small to achieve what he achieved while making it clear this is really hard and there's a lot of people who will never have this in, in his view. So another question that we got from one of our listeners was, what should we take away from the life of Mark Twain? What should we learn from him? Not from his writings per se, but from him as an individual. What should we learn from him? That's a great question. I think a larger lesson from him is, is finding purpose and understanding what your purpose is. And John in the podcast quoted at the beginning to talking about uh, when you find out why you're born. Mm. And he did. That's something that all of us are trying to understand. Like, what, what is my purpose here? And I, how do I fulfill that? He was able to figure that out. The pursuit of that, I think, is really important. And then trying different things. He didn't just wake up one day and suddenly decide, I want to be a writer. He right. went through a ton of experiences. He traveled extensively. He bartered his way and, and talked newspapers into sending him to Europe and to sending him to, to just all over the world. He was a hustler. Yeah, absolutely. So it, in order to figure out what he was supposed to do, I think he had to go through the process of eliminating the things he was not supposed to do. So Joe, when it comes to Mark Twain, is he one of your top five authors? No. He is not. <laughs> I, uh, everyone has their favorite writing style that they, um, that they really enjoy. I enjoy his writing, but he's not one of my top like favorite ones. I, I know that may be surprising, but it's, it's just, I have to be honest. So, so you hate America. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you just jumped to conclusions. So Dan, I'm going to turn it around on you. Is he one of your favorite authors? No, actually, he's not. <laughs> so we're a good company. Yeah. So as someone who, again, is is, is not one of your favorite ones, what, what did you know him as before you heard this podcast? So before I heard the podcast, uh, obviously, I know his novels. I know his his reputation as a humorist. My main reason for not appreciating the work of Mark Twain more than others, per se, is that I'm already naturally a cynical person. <laughs> <laughs> so it wouldn't be anything new. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a skeptical, cynical individual, so I don't need more cynics speaking in my, into my life. <laughs> Touche. Um, so, no, and, and th that being said, I do appreciate greatly the way in which he allowed the common person to read his writings and appreciate literature. I just, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily my style. All right. Well, my reason is when I was in high school and I read his popular books, I read some other ones and I enjoy it. It just, the subject matter is not one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a urban fantasy sci-fi guy or, or nerd, as I would <laughs> say. <laughs> you are a nerd. Yeah, absolutely. C.S. Lewis, yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of Mark Twain. I'm Joe Parker. And I'm Dan Lindsay. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It really does help. And if you feel so inclined, please support the show by going to 15minutehistorypodcast.org and clicking the support button. Thank you, and see you all next week.